Welcome to Wisdom, Love, and Beauty, a podcast for the soul and the home of dangerous wisdom. This is Dr. Nikos, your friendly neighborhood soul doctor, and today we wrap up our contemplation of hexagram 18 from Yijing. Again, each hexagram is an archetypal patterning in the flow of our lives. Hexagram 18 is the archetype of something that has gotten spoiled or infected and that we have to bring back to balance and health. And we're asking again, how can we see this patterning at work in our lives in a way that can be helpful? And for our final reflection on this week's guidance, we'll turn to commentary by Master Chi Shu, as translated by Thomas Cleary. Master Chishu is a good resource because he gives us commentary illuminated from the perspective of Buddhist philosophy. So we had some Taoist commentary, now we're going to get some Buddhist commentary. And being Greek, you're always getting Greek commentary. That's my <laughs> contribution to the whole thing. And Master Chishu says, Degeneration is like when a vessel is not used for a long time, and begins to corrode, not like a vessel, like a ship, but a, like a container, a vessel. You don't use it, it begins to con- uh, corrode. Or like when people indulge in partying for a long time and become sick. Or when a country is peaceful for a long time and becomes decadent. In political terms, this is when rulers and officials gladly go along with each other and there is no salutary protest thus bringing about corruption. It's a nice uh, choice that Cleary made. They're partying. People were partying. Uh, This is not written in frat times, but you get the spirit of it. It's interesting to think of something corroding because we don't use it enough. Sometimes we think that, well, things wear out because you use them. And the suggestion here is, well, they can also wear out when you don't. Our muscles, if we don't use them, they become flabby. If we don't cultivate our spiritual vision, the soul goes blind. And knowledge itself depends on our whole practice of life. And what we're not working with starts to degrade, starts to get flabby. So we keep things in good condition by using them if we use them appropriately. There's a kind of transcendence of the ordinary notion of use. It's like a useless use. And politically... And we see here the importance of protest for the sake of the health of the culture. You know, the interplay of perspectives is really important, but we don't protest or have a different perspective for the sake of it, just to do that. It's not protest itself doesn't bring about benefit. We have to benefit the culture by making sure our protest and our criticism and our demands accord with wisdom, love, and beauty. We have to stay rooted in our highest values when we're challenging something. And the trouble is that if we don't put our highest values to use in daily life, they corrode or get flabby. We lose our spiritual strength if our daily life doesn't involve clarity and integrity. That is like an integration, a a coherence, clarity and coherence of our highest values. We can't sit around and wait for a big protest to practice our values. We can practice them in daily life. That can be a surprising thing, that the seemingly mundane isn't so mundane. But right there, you can find 
the most profound truth. Master Chishu also points out that the degeneration revealed in this patterning of life, this hexagram, shows up when certain philosophical ideas start to flourish in a culture, and people go along with them without thinking. If the ideas are good ones, you might think, well, that's okay. If, they're if the philosophical ideas are good, then it's fine if people go along with it. But it, it isn't, because people still set themselves up really for tragedy because they didn't have the right intentions and the right clarity of mind when they were following the seemingly good idea. But just as often, and certainly in the dominant culture, it's true that we follow along with really bad philosophy. That that's, that you could say that's the characteristic of the dominant culture's culture riddled with bad philosophy. But we follow along with the ideas because we're comfortable we're making enough money, if we have nice things, we get our uh, cappuccino and we drive our nice little electric car and it feels all good and we convince ourselves that the current ways of thinking that are popular must be correct. And we might play around with them intellectually, but we're going along with degeneration. We're caught in degeneration and we just perpetuate it. Master Chishu also touches on the spiritual materialism of compassion itself. Because we can do certain things that we justify on the basis of compassion, but in actuality those things might not be as wise as we are hoping. So for instance, uh, we might become vegan thinking that that's the most compassionate diet. And there might be an argument for this. It's not to say that it's, well, it is or it isn't, but there is a way in which our apparent compassion could get us into trouble. So it might be very common. This is a common thing. You, you become a vegan, you start eating a lot of tofu. But the soybeans that we're eating might come from very far away. It might be that there's no soybean farms anywhere near us, maybe for hundreds and hundreds, maybe thousands of miles, depending on where we live. The, the soybeans that are being grown for that tofu might certainly come from far away. And so then the beans are grown, and the field in which they were grown might have been home to many sentient beings who were displaced and even killed to grow the soybeans. And we're talking rabbits, gophers, ground squirrels, even worms. All kinds of beings are killed. It doesn't matter if the farm might be organic, regenerative, permaculture. It doesn't matter. Regenerative and permaculture farmers are certainly willing to kill a gopher. And they're certainly willing to exclude beings from their field if they feel they need to. And they have a variety of ways of doing that. And so then... However, the soybeans were grown, and they could have been grown in a monoculture as well. Now, of course, a, a more a permaculture farm or a regenerative farm wouldn't do that. But they also wouldn't be producing as many soybeans. So you'd have to get them from a lot of different farms. And that's not usually how the tofu is made. And maybe it was. We're saying, we're saying, what is the possibility where we could go lax and think we're being compassionate? So then the tofu has to get processed, and then it gets wrapped in plastic, and it has to get shipped to us. And that's very common for a vegan to do. You go to the grocery store, you buy the tofu in the plastic container. And so overall, we might have a lot more negative consequences there, including negative consequences to human and non-human beings. There may be a lot of non-human suffering in the tofu that we eat. And so then if we really reflected, it could be that at least in our case, I'm not saying what the universal answer is or that we couldn't make it better, but it could be that in your case, you yourself or some other vegan in some particular situation, it might be way more compassionate 
to find a, a local farm who raises chickens in an ethical way and produces the eggs responsibly. And if you went and got those eggs, that might be far more compassionate than the tofu. So Master Chishu is warning us about the way compassion itself can get us into, really, it can degenerate. And, and under the guise of compassion, we're doing things that aren't so skillful. He also warn us, uh, warns us about our spiritual practice, that it can degenerate. You know, we start to coast on nice feelings because maybe we start meditating regularly and we feel really peaceful. So my meditation was so good this morning and yes, I feel really good. But we're really not engaged in spiritual inquiry anymore. The spiritual quest has actually stopped. And it stopped because there's a part of us that knows it's going to be uncomfortable and demanding. The ego is perfectly happy with all kinds of spiritual experiences as long as it doesn't dethrone the ego. And it, the ego makes us feel like we're decentering the ego, but still it has found more subtle ways to manipulate and control the situation. And we can do even extreme things that can happen. We can take holotropic medicines like ayahuasca, and we essentially start to make a nest for ourselves even there. In what seems like a very big energetic thing, we have allowed degeneration to come in. The process gets corrupted. And so we leave the disorder of the soul unexamined, and that allows the disorder to grow. The corruption begins to spread. It's like parasites in the stomach that start to breed. And all the while we might be proclaiming that we're working on healing and transformation. Now, luckily, disorder can give, give rise to order. That's part of Yi Jing's interplay. You have disorder, no problem. That could transform if we recommit ourselves. And Master Chishu recommends what we've already discussed, that we keep still for a period of time. This hexagram says three days before the start and three days after. But this point is, that's metaphorical, a stillness for a period. And then we go and cross that great river. That's the thing he recommends. And after we begin this crossing, if we first waited, we gathered our energy and we realized, okay, we're going to face this degeneration and we start to cross. And even in the midst of raging water, even in the midst of great challenge, whatever the great river is for you, the big challenge that you might not want to face, we, keep, we let the mind stay still. We relax the mind, keep the mind at ease, pacify if we have to. It's a life-affirming no to the habit energy, the agitation that wants to come up and say, let me just take care of this, let me just start doing it in the old way. And we stay calm. It's not a forced thing, we just relax. And we keep the awareness, keep the eyes open. And then instead of the river challenging us, like if we don't do that, what, what I'm trying to get at is if we don't keep the mind open, then when we go to cross this great river, as the intensity builds, we will revert to our habits. So the river could empower us to arrive at insight and real transformation. But instead, we will tend to revert to habitual ways of dealing with the situation. When we get overwhelmed, we might shut down, we might get spacey, dissociate, and we might not notice it. You know, so we come on the other side of the river because we might even make it to the other shore, apparently. We say, wow, that was so intense, but we didn't see that awareness wasn't present. We really didn't metabolize that whole experience and learn as much as we could have. We got overwhelmed. We started to dissociate. Habits of doing started to come in. 
And that's how we often get through a big energetic situation. But if we keep open eyes and open heart, we can transform. And we can catch a, a glimpse of something so essential, and that is how degeneration accumulates gradually without our noticing it. How do we let things get into a mess? You ever notice how you're going along in a relationship, it's going well, and suddenly you look and you say, how did we get into this mess? We're in a rut. Or you're having a nice day and suddenly you're in an argument. What are the little things that build up to, to create that spoilage of the day? It can happen so subtly. And if we can begin to see that process, we can liberate it. Master Chishu is warns too that we really we can't sit back and wait for the world to order itself. Now, in one sense, he's not saying to, to manipulate and control the world. The world functions fine if we let it. The world gets disordered because we get disordered. And so that's why we can't just sit back and wait for the world to order itself. If it's out of order, it's because we are. And so we have to attune ourselves to the functioning of things. When we cross a great river, face a great challenge that we know is going to put us on the spot, that's it, we're going to have that energy come up. And we've got the chance to see that true success totally depends on attuning with life, attuning to ecologies of mind that transcend our little mind, our little conscious mind, attuning with nature, attuning with the sacred creative patterning that makes all things happen in total interwovenness. Now, finally, this hexagram is about leadership. True leaders face their hidden faults, and they go to the places that scare them, and they heal their inner degeneration. Having done that, they can magnetize others naturally for their benefit, not for the leader's benefit. They magnetize others for the benefit of those others. And their activity in life, a true leader's activity in life, thus spreads virtue throughout the culture and heals it. As Master Chishu puts it, arousing the people is like wind. Nurturing virtue is like mountains. The people cannot be sufficiently aroused without nurturing virtue. And virtue cannot be sufficiently nurtured without arousing the people. For those who know the mandala of the mind, that's the magnetizing part. That's the Western part of the mandala. And he's also talking here about the total interwovenness of wisdom and compassion in general. The most powerful act of compassion is to help facilitate insight in others that brings them to the realization of wisdom. And we can only do that for others when we have arrived at that wisdom ourselves to the extent that we remain subject to our own delusions, then every attempt we make to help others leaves some part of them unhelped and maybe even misguided. All right, well, there we have our final Yi Jing insights for the week. Well, the real insights come when we put these teachings to practice in our lives, of course. You have to remember that. So carry all of this into your weekend. See what insights unfold, and we'll have a new Yijing reading next week. I've already heard some of you are experiencing synchronicity with Yijing, and that's wonderful. If you have any questions about that, reflections, or stories of synchronicity to share, send them in through wisdomloveandbeauty.org. 
We might bring some of them into a future contemplation. Until then, this is Dr. Nikos, your friendly neighborhood soul doctor, reminding you that your soul and the soul of the world are not two things. Take good care of them.